Good morning again. I'm going to start this morning by just reading Psalm 69. So feel free to follow along with me on the screen or in your Bibles here in the room and at home as well. Psalm 69, verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's son. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul Redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them. Let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have struck down and they recount the pain Of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. 
I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Last week, Zach preached from Psalm 121, which is classified as a psalm of confidence. But the psalm that we just read, Psalm 69, could be considered the polar opposite. Psalm 69 is a psalm of lament. Now, there are some elements of confidence in Psalm 69. We'll talk more about that here in a few minutes. But the majority of the psalm we just read is about suffering, sorrow, and even some anger. Psalm 69 and other psalms of lament like it, may not be the most cheerful passages of the Bible that you will ever read. But apparently God thought it worthwhile to include them in his word. In fact, some two-thirds of the entire book of Psalms is what we just read. Psalms of lament. God knows that grief, pain, loss, and frustration are inevitable parts of life in a world that has fallen into sin. And passages like Psalm 69 can help us navigate through it. So open up to Psalm 69. We're not going to read the whole psalm again, but I will refer back to it a few times. Feel free to follow along. But before we do any more reading, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, thank you for your word. All of it from cover to cover. The parts that are cheerful and inspiring and and moving and encouraging. But also the parts that are downers. The parts that are sobering. The parts that are convicting. The parts that we might even say are depressing. Both of those parts of your word are necessary to help us understand who you are, help us understand who we are, and help us understand how you call us to live in this world that you've made. And so, Lord, I pray that you would watch over us as we study your word today. Even though we spend time in a word of lament this morning, remind us that we do not stay in a constant state of lament, but we look to your son, Jesus Christ, and even in our laments, we find joy when we look at him. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the first things to note as we study Psalm 69 is that it was produced by David, the greatest Israelite king in the Old Testament. And any time a psalm is attributed to David, It's good to consider how that psalm may have fit into the course of his life. 
which the Bible tells us a lot about. But to be honest, Psalm 69 doesn't give us many clues about what event David could be referring to or when it may have happened. Could David have written Psalm 69 when he was young, running from the wicked king Saul? Maybe. Could he have written it during his often overlooked conflict with a man named Shammai? That's possible. Could David have written this when his son Absalom betrayed him in his quest for power? That's plausible as well. We don't know for sure what specific circumstances would have prompted David to write Psalm 69. But you know, that may not be a bad thing. The open-endedness of Psalm 69 may make it easier for people like us. People in very different circumstances from David. We can more easily relate to these words. We can more easily adopt Psalm 69 as our own words in our own times of lament. But when you actually get into the meat of Psalm 69, you find a vast range of emotions. In verse 1, David is overwhelmed with pain to the point of feeling like he's drowning. In verse 3, he expresses his exhaustion while waiting for God to do something, anything. In verse 4, David recounts the deeds of those who have sinned against him. And then in verse 5, he confesses sins of his own. In verse 6, David worries about how his suffering might affect those around him. But then in verse 8, he opens up about his feelings of loneliness. In 10 and 11, David wonders why he's being treated so poorly when he's tried to do everything right. But then in verses 13 and 18, he musters up some confidence in God, which I'm sure was difficult. In verses 22 through 28, David is forthcoming about how he would like God to deal with the people who have wronged him. But then at the very end of the psalm, verses 30 through 36, he focuses on worship. Again, we see an incredibly broad range of emotions flowing from David's pen in Psalm 69. This psalm is a perfect example of what theologian David Hubbard describes as the psalms speaking to all seasons of our souls. Just in Psalm 69, by itself, we see God speaking to all seasons of our souls. And with these widely varied emotions and expressions, David is all over the place in Psalm 69. He comes across as a bit temperamental, impulsive, and maybe even unstable. But then again, especially if you've experienced your own times of lament, you can probably understand where David is coming from. Perhaps you've encountered some unexpected hardship, trauma, or grief in your own life. A sudden death of a loved one. A devastating diagnosis. A crippling divorce. 
an embarrassing scandal, a shocking betrayal, an out-of-the-blue job loss. And quite frankly, for a while there, you were, or maybe you still are, kind of a mess. One minute you're a nervous wreck, and the next you're a cool customer. One minute you're mad at God for not helping, and the next you are patiently waiting. One minute you're disgusted at someone else for their sins against you, and the next you're remembering your own. One minute you're worried about those around you, and the next you feel profoundly alone. One minute you're hopeless, and the next you're hopeful. If you've been through your own season of lament, you can probably understand where David is coming from. Preacher Charles Spurgeon, who was known for his own seasons of lament, perhaps even being diagnosed with depression, Spurgeon said, Whenever you look into David's Psalms, you will somewhere or other see yourself. You will never get into a corner and not find David in that corner. I think that I was never so low that I could not find David was lower. And I never climbed so high that I could not find David up above me. Psalms of lament. Psalms like Psalm 69. Can help us through those times when we feel like David. When we don't know what to say. When we just can't seem to put our suffering into words. Psalms of lament can give voice to our pain. Commentator John Goldengay says, The Psalms make it possible to say things that are otherwise unsayable. The Psalms make it possible to say things that are otherwise unsayable. A man named Athanasius once wrote, While most of Scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. Part of the beauty of these psalms of lament is that we know God can handle us expressing these words of sorrow, anger, and complaint because God himself inspired these words of sorrow, anger, and complaint. These psalms can give us a voice in our own times of lament. But not only that, psalms of lament can teach us how to think, how to talk about injustice and evil in our world. If you look back at verses 22 through 28, that is the part where David gives God some suggestions, we might say, about how he should deal with his enemies. That part of this psalm is often referred to as an imprecation or part of an imprecatory psalm. There are others as well. And historically, Christians have been a little bit uncomfortable with these parts of the Psalms, the imprecations. David's words in verses 22 through 28 seem harsh, violent, vengeful, bloodthirsty. And how does that square with what the Bible says about loving our enemies? Well, if nothing else, these portions of the Psalms teach us not to be content with evil. 
They remind us that one day God will judge evil. And they help us resist taking the judgment of evil into our own hands. In 1 Samuel chapters 24 and 26, David is in a prime position. Saul, the king who had wronged him so terribly, the man who had made his life a nightmare, was a sitting duck. David in a cave had the opportunity to get his vengeance on Saul once and for all. He could have whacked him, and no one would have even seen who did it. But David didn't do that. He did not get his revenge on Saul. David had the opportunity to judge evil by his own hands, and he chose not to. So are David's words in verses 22 through 28 a little bit gruff? Yeah, they are. But it's certainly not worse than actually taking evil into your own hands. And if you think back a few weeks to when we were discussing the Lord's Prayer, what are we saying when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come? Part of God's kingdom coming includes judgment. Part of God's kingdom coming includes the eradication of evil and sin. So even though the words, your kingdom come, might sound a little more flowery than what David says in verses 22 through 28 of Psalm 69, really we're kind of doing the same thing. We're asking God to be God. We're asking God to act righteously. We're asking God to be a good judge. And then finally, the Psalms of Lament remind us to not lose sight of this good, just God. In our moments, our days, our weeks, our months, our years of darkness. Even when it's a struggle. Even if we bounce back and forth between faith and doubt, joy and despair, Worship and complaint. Psalms of lament challenge us to not lose sight of God's goodness, God's power, and God's love. In that sense, in a strange, somewhat hidden, roundabout way, Psalms of lament can actually lead us to praise. In the words of Pastor J.A. Metters, Lament can be an underground tunnel to hope. An underground tunnel to hope. Now that may sound all well and good in theory, but in practice, why should you read a psalm of lament if you're not lamenting? I mean, if things are great for you right now, then why should you subject yourself to these passages that, quite frankly, can be real downers? It's a beautiful day outside, and you're having to read Psalm 69. Well, you may not have much to lament right now, but one day you might. One day you will. And familiarizing yourself now with how the Bible addresses pain, suffering, and injustice when times are good will prepare you for when times are bad. We are very good at avoiding discomfort. 
We are gifted at taking ourselves out of painful situations. We are wonderful at ensuring that suffering doesn't come our way to begin with. But here's the thing. Some discomfort, some pain, some suffering, it's unavoidable. There's nothing you can do about it. And so when those times of lament come, you do not want to be caught off guard. And so learning how to lament now with God's word to teach you can prepare you for when those moments arrive. On top of that, reading these psalms of lament may remind you that perhaps we ought to be lamenting more than we are. You know, not all is right in the world just because all is right with us. Psalms of lament remind us that our world is fallen. When we're tempted to buy into the lie that maybe things really aren't that bad. And when we buy into that lie that all is well in our world, we may be tempted to forget that our world needs a Redeemer and a Lord from outside of it. And then finally, reading Psalms of Lament. Even when you have nothing to mourn, nothing to grieve of your own, it can help you better care for those who are lamenting, are grieving, are mourning. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, the Apostle Paul instructs believers to weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. Knowing how the Bible talks about weeping, lamenting, grieving, mourning, will help you better care for those around you who really are. Even if you're not in their shoes at this moment. You can be a better brother or sister in Christ. You can be a better friend, a better family member, a better neighbor. If you know how to lament with those who lament. And these psalms can teach you. Two weeks ago we said that all different genres of psalms. In one way or another can point our eyes to Jesus. But how is that the case with psalms of lament? How is that the case with our text today? Psalm 69. Well believe it or not. Psalm 69. This long, depressing, moody passage is the second most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. Psalm 69 verse 9 says, For zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus quotes those words in John chapter 2 as he flips over the money changers' tables in the temple. Paul quotes the second half of that same verse in Romans chapter 15, verse 3. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He quotes those words in reference to Jesus putting the needs of others ahead of his own on the cross. And then also in the book of Romans, Paul quotes Psalm 69, verse 22. In Romans 11, he discusses Israelites who have failed to believe in their own Messiah And he turns to Psalm 69. Paul laments as he talks about that. 
But maybe the most powerful New Testament reference from Psalm 69 comes out of verse 21. As Jesus dies, he is offered sour wine to drink. Not metaphorically, but literally. As Jesus hung on the cross, he experienced the pain, the suffering, and the trauma that every sinner in this room will experience at some point in our fallen world. He experienced that and then some. He had no sin of his own to merit that kind of suffering. He went to the cross on our behalf. And on that cross, our Lord and Savior understood what it's like to lament. As he hung there, he quoted another psalm of lament. Joshua mentioned it earlier in the service. Jesus echoes Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a psalm of lament that ultimately ends on a note of deliverance. And it's on the cross when Jesus laments and cries out those words that Jesus became the true suffering servant. Where he bore our reproaches upon himself, where he was dishonored, where he was treated as a stranger and alien by his brothers, where he became a byword to those who were watching. But he was ultimately delivered by the Father three days later when he rose from the dead. As David says in Psalm 69, our enemies, our hardships, our pains in this life may outnumber the hairs on our heads. But in Matthew 10, Jesus reminds us that God the Father knows how many hairs are on our heads. And so we can trust that during our seasons of lament, God sees us, God hears us, God knows us. And we can remember that thanks to Jesus, we will not lament forever. The same way Jesus did not lament forever. Thanks to Jesus, one day we too will be delivered. In a sense, we Christians ought to be the most joyful people on the world. Knowing the things that we know. Believing the things that we believe. Looking forward to the rewards that are in store for us. But we Christians are also lamenting people. We lament until Jesus returns. We long for his presence. But we know that day will come. And even though we lament now, even though we wait now, even though we suffer and cry out and grieve and mourn now, we will not lament forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in the Psalms you give us permission to grieve. You give us permission to suffer. You give us permission to cry out to you. You give us permission to not hold back when it comes to talking about our frustrations, our sorrows, our doubts, our worries. But Lord, in these Psalms you also remind us, you challenge us to trust you. And so I pray that you would help us to do that. Inevitably, there are people in this room right now who are lamenting. Some we might know about, some we might not. 
But Lord, help us to lament with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to weep with those who weep. Help us be prepared for when our own seasons of lament come, even if things are good now. I pray that we would be faithful to you in both good times and bad times. Lord, help us keep our eyes fixed on you during hard seasons of life. I think many of us would describe 2020 as one of those seasons. Lord, help us keep our eyes fixed on you even as we grieve, even as we mourn, even as we muddle through difficult times of sorrow and heartache. Remind us that we do not lament alone. Remind us that we have a Savior who also lamented on the cross. But Lord, remind us that our Savior rose. Our Savior did not lament forever, and neither will we. We love you, we praise you, we glorify you, even in seasons of lament. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.